This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are not only having fun, we are kicking <laughs> right in the butt one word at a time. And to start the fun, I understand that you have a story for us. I do I ever have a story for you. So, you know this about me, I think, but maybe most people don't know, is that I am kind of handy when it comes to use like fixing things like it's taken me a while to brave it because I'm always afraid of like causing catastrophic failure and like I don't want to meddle with things because what if I break it and then I'm gonna have to pay a thousand dollars for somebody professional to come in behind me but over the years I've gotten a little more like I'll take care of that and so I, I have much more fun dealing with tools and you know mechanical things. And by mechanics, I don't mean like cars. I mean like just things that need to be manipulated to be fixed. Like my, my, my brain is very problem solving. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the other day, um, somebody pointed out that one of my toilets in the house, the tank kind of rocked and I've never messed with toilet tanks before. I've, I've seen it done like, you know, I've seen people put in wax seals and, you know, I, I, I kind of have like an idea, but I've never actually gone in and messed with it. And so I go in and I look at the tank and I'm like, sure enough, yeah, it is rocking. That's a problem. And so I reached my hands down around to see like, I know that there's screws that are holding this tank to the, to the body of the toilet. And maybe if I just tighten those screws a little, it'll solve the problem. Easy peasy. Well, I reach down and I touch the screw and it basically snaps off in my hand. <laughs> and I'm like, oh crap. Shut off the water really quick. <laughs> and so then I'm like, well, what about the other one? And I touch it and it like snaps off in my hands. I'm like, shit. So um, I'm like, all right, you know, flush the toilet, drain the tank. And you can't just really drain a tank because it doesn't go off. So it's like this big thing already just to look at it. And I, I get down there and I look and I'm like, whatever has been holding this tank together has got to be like as old as the house. We're talking decades. Mm -hmm. And it's corro it's so corroded that you can't even see the screws, like they're just covered in just a mountain of, I guess, minerals and deposits and whatever. So this is a really tight space. And I get in there with a screwdriver and I start prying it apart. And it's like, I have to just, it's like work. I finally get this thing apart and I'm like, okay, all right. I see how this thing all fits together. And these are the, the, the screws that hold the tank on. And so there's going to be a a rubber seal. Okay, I get it. I get it. And I just went to Walmart and I was like, I'm just going to buy the screws and put the tank back together. No big deal. And so I get there and they have, you know, they sell a little kit uh, that has the screws and the, the flange and everything, the rubber flange. And my gut is telling me, don't do anything but the screws, <laughs> just the screws. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, but then I finally get the tank off well enough that I can see what see what it looks like. And that rubber flange is as old as the screws are. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's really old. So I, might have, I, I got the flange. It came as part of the set. I'll just put that on, too. 
And as I do, I'm thinking, something's not right about this. It doesn't seem to be fitting. It says it's a universal fit, but it doesn't really seem as secure as it's supposed to be. And then I'm like, well, maybe if you, as you reseat the toilet and put those screws back together, they're bolts, really, these really long bolts. I shouldn't be calling them screws. Um, you put the bolts back in, then that, the pressure of that will force the rubber flange into position and it'll be fine. But the problem is you're also supposed to be really careful about tightening these bolts because if you tighten them too much, you can crack the ceramic of the toilet. And this is a really old toilet and I do not want to have to go also <laughs> buy a new toilet and put that in too. So I'm being really careful to tighten it. You tighten one side a little bit, then the other side so that they're being tightened at the same time. And I get it as tight as I really think I can without like cracking it. And I'm like, all right, let's fill this sucker up and let's go. And everything's fine and I'm so proud of myself. And I flush the toilet and now my floor is being washed. <laughs> it's being washed really, 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 really well. I'm like, crap. So I got to pull the whole thing all back together again. And I got to go dig out the flange that I threw away. And I'm like, oh, please, God, let this work. Because, you know, now that it's so old and it's like, I don't know if you've ever messed with old rubber, but it, it almost like bleeds off black into your hand. Like it's just, it, it, it's, it's bleeding its life out. And so I'm like, okay, you know, stick this back up on there and hope that it works and hope that it fits and hopes that it keeps a good seal. Put it all back together, fill it up, flush, and my source floor stays dry. And uh, But I'm like paranoid now. <laughs> I'm constantly putting, putting tissue paper up underneath there to see if I see any drops of water. So yeah, that's my replacing this bolts on toilet tank story. <laughs> and that leads right into our topic for today, which, I mean, you are so brilliant that you chose this story for this topic. And our topic is don't make it easy. In, uh, I think it was episode 212, we were discussing um, dusting off old material. And Steve was going to be embarking on dusting off some of his old material. And so I offered him a few suggestions, like a checklist, if you will, if I'm recalling this correctly, because I've slept since then. And these were things that I suggested uh, he would keep in mind as he went over scrutinizing each scene. And in those suggestions was don't make it easy. But at the time, we didn't really have, have a chance to get into that. And we said it was a topic for another time. And, well, here we are with it. This is the other time. But as I understand it, this is going to be like an ongoing thing. A don't make it. It's going to be like a series. A don't make it easy series kind of thing. That Not sequentially one after another after another, but there will occasionally be don't make it easy type episodes. Well, just, you know, we've gone over every scene needs a purpose multiple times now. It's sort of an umbrella, right? And so we've gone, we've done... Um, uh, bookending flashbacks. We've done aimlessness. We've done description all under this umbrella of every scene needs a purpose. And this concept of don't make it easy is also sort of an umbrella because the, it, it shows up in multiple ways. And we haven't really gone over those much, just in passing sort of, or sandwiched in between other things. But today I wanted to actually hit this don't make it easy um, subject on the subject of dialogue and character interaction. 
And I don't really have solid notes to work from on this. So hope, hopefully it'll be quality, um, but I'm, I'm going off, the, riffing off the top of my head here for this. But basically, I see this turn up a lot. And um, it's fresh on my mind from working with uh, Steve on some material of his. And, and it, it's like when I was seeing it in his work, I'm like, this is very familiar. I've seen this multiple times. Not word for word, but this concept. And so just putting out a, 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 just a generalized scenario here, what we'll get is we have our main character, right? And as the author, you've got the plot, you kind of know where the story is going, and the plot says X needs to happen. So let's say the character is hunting for a piece of information, and he knows that character X knows all about this subject of X, right? So our hero goes off to all the effort of getting this information. He strategizes, he finds a way to meet this person and finds a way to have the conversation with them. And depending on the genre, like if it's a thriller, sometimes there's action involved and people are getting beat up and or kidnapped or whatever. And I mean, it's like really serious stuff going down to get this piece of information or whatever it is. And sometimes the character doesn't even know, they don't know, but it's like, ah, somebody's following me. And so I'm going to find out what it is they want from me, or it's a mystery and they're going there to get information, but whatever it is, it's going to affect, there's going to be a lot of movement action. That's all set up great. And then the characters finally meet and they'll say some words. And often the words are just kind of filler. Like it's, they're there to facilitate that extraction of information. So it looks like they're interacting. Maybe they even go into a small bit of effort and pretend to do an effort to make this effort. And there might even be some banter, maybe a small amount of protest. And then this character just rolls over and tells them everything they want to know. And then they're off and they're done and they're on to the next thing. And it doesn't work because it's too easy because that's not how life happens. So we're going to speak specifically to dialogue, right? In this particular instance. Now in very rare cases, are the people handing over this information best of buddies with the main character? Normally they're antagonists or they're people with their own agendas. And the question you've got to ask is why? Why are they giving this person, this character, this information? Why? It cannot be because the plot says it needs to happen. That character needs to be a living, breathing human being with their own agendas, wants, desires, fears, biases, worldviews, attitudes, whatever. They may be a very minor character. You may not have to go about setting up a huge backstory for them, but they do not exist in a void. I have seen this happen with mafia thugs, I've seen it happen with 
people who themselves are on the run. These are all characters, not real life. These are all uh, characters who are on the run and are trying to avoid any confrontation and who feel that if by by giving this information in, in the story, if they gave the information, something bad would happen. And yet just a few words from the main character and they just spill it all out, to which I say, nay, nay, nay. It does not happen like that. And when it happens like that on the page, it feels cheap. You feel cheated. You feel frustrated because your psyche as a reader, you know this is not real. It cannot be real. And it completely obliterates the suspension of disbelief because, come on, are you kidding me? This hardened thug got put in a situation where his hands are tied behind his back no threats, no nothing, and now he's just spilling it all? This does not happen. So part of it is, I think, just from observing it often enough, part one of the big uh, issues going to this is that the author is in a hurry. They want to get to the good stuff. And so they don't invest enough time making their character work hard for that good stuff. And so when we finally do get to the good stuff, it doesn't really feel good anymore. It feels like, all right, now we have that. Now what, what, what's going on next? Another reason it happens is because the author doesn't really know what the conversation is supposed to feel like. And I say feel because that is really what, you're doing is getting emotion down on the page that you actually feel the tension. Every scene needs conflict. These, even a good conversation between two best friends, drawing information out of two best friends is still going to have some sense of tension or conflict because that's what makes the conversation interesting. That's what makes the story on the page come alive. So to fix it, To fix this, you have to know both characters in the equation. The reason we get this imbalance is because the author is really familiar with their main character. But this character X is just sort of moving prop piece. They're just there to serve the purpose of the plot and to give the character their piece of information and to make something bad happen or whatever. It's a plot device. And you cannot have plot device characters in your book. You just can't if you want your story to feel real and feel alive. You have to make those characters real. And so, like I was saying, they don't have to have this massive backstory. You don't have to know that their aunt's first husband you know, was related to the, you don't need all of that, but you do have to know who they are. Who is this character? I mean, like, who are they really at their core? What do they fear? What do they want? Why are they even there in the first place? And why would they say this? What would have to happen for this character to actually give up that information that the main character wants? And sometimes, and this is where it gets really fun, when you really sit down and ask yourself why they would give that up, you realize that they wouldn't. 
that there's no reason why that character would ever give that information up. And that's when the, your skill as a storyteller really comes into play, is tweaking things and and crawling inside your main character's head to understand what's going on and putting that onto the page and playing them against that character and manipulating them or doing whatever it is to speak to their fears, to to speak to their desires, whether, you know, not every character is going to react the same way. Some characters, you try and bully them, they're like, fine, kill me, I don't care. I don't have anything to live for anyway. Other characters... They, they respond to that very well, and they're afraid. They're scaredy cats. Some characters, you, you speak to their own self-interest. Maybe there's something they want, and that is the challenge of, of bringing this character interaction to life, and it comes about through dialogue. It's through the words that are—you can't be inside character X's head. All you know about character X is what your character can see, what your character knows, and what that other character is saying. And so dialogue for these scenes, the, they're almost, it's almost like bookended dialogue because you're really there for extracting this information. But there's bookends on both sides that are leading into that and leading out of that, which are also dialogue. And it's how you get to that information that is what makes dialogue so real and so alive. And if you make it too easy, where this character just rolls over and just tells them everything they want all at once, it doesn't work. It falls flat. So it's not even like, oh, here, I will get this one piece of information. Sometimes it's a protracted conversation where the silences say as much as the words do. And you've got your, your character filling in that silence with inner dialogue and understanding and imparting that understanding to your reader. But it's hard. It's really, really hard sometimes to get that tenor right, to decide what it is that should show up on the page and what shouldn't. And that brings us to another reason why these conversations, this dialogue often falls flat is because the author is in a hurry. They don't have the luxury of time or they just have other things they want to be doing, whatever the reason, you know, and, and I'm sure that 99.9% .9 of it is completely legitimate, but they're rushed, they're in a hurry, and they're just pushing past it, right? Without really sitting there and going, is this really how these characters would interact with each other? When I was writing Liar's Legacy, there was a conversation that took place with Jack and Holden that I had to, I spent over a week working this conversation because these were two very, very smart individuals capable of doing great harm to each other who don't want to be enemies and sort of kind of want to be friends, but are in a position where they're going to kill each other if something goes wrong. And, and so to, to effectively get that on the page when you're only in one of their heads and to convey the intensity of emotion without the animosity while communicating details that needed to be explained to the reader without running into an info dump, that is hard. But the payoff is in taking the time to get it right 
and really analyzing it and crawling to the heads of both characters. Now, in this situation, both of those are main characters. So they're not throwaway pieces or, or set pieces um, in the sense that they show up once and then never again. So there's a lot more investment in building out those characters. But that same depth of thought needs to go into building out even your um, X characters, the ones that, that are throwaway pieces, so that it still feels the same way, that there is conflict, that that conflict is being resolved, that the character is working to get what they want, so that when they finally do get that payoff, it feels like, yes, and now your characters seem smart, and they seem like they're, they know what they're doing, and even the ones that are just stumbling through it, who are not your you know, badass heroes, but your everyday common person, they still are likable because nothing was handed to them. They had to figure this out. Don't make it easy. That is the point. And that is the issue with don't make it easy in dialogue and character interaction. I was reading a book the other day where there was a private investigator who was interviewing someone. Sort of, you know, exactly like what you set up. There was a, there was a, this person had a key piece of information that the private investigator wanted, and so he finagled a way to get in front of this person to be able to try and get this information from him. And I, I was reading through it, and I got to the end, and it's like he got nothing. He got no information at all. How does this move the story forward? And then I went back and read it again, and in – the the person who was being questioned in his refusal to answer the questions he was actually giving some information that could be used then to further the case of the private investigator See, that, which i thought was fascinating awesome. yes that's yes. One, that's that's brilliant because that is an example of using the silences and and your character reading through those silences and you know we do that in real life we're not always as smart as our characters are but i think it's like 80 or 90% of human communication isn't even in words. It's body language and, and the, the unspoken things, facial expressions and such. And so to not have that show up on a page almost feels like a sin because that's not, you know, that is part of real life. And so when you have your character use those little things to figure out stuff, not only does it keep the reader guessing, which is critical to keeping them in, engaged in the story because it keeps the tension high? It makes your character look really smart. It makes you look smart too. But all you're doing is using real life as the basis for how you're you're working your characters. Yeah, and I I will say that once I figured out what what information was was transferred to the private investigator, I did feel smarter. And then I I was also reading a, another book because I read a lot. And I actually read both these books on the same day. Wow. And, um, and I was just kind of like going back and forth between them. I read as like a mental cleansing thing. So like between projects, I'll read for 10 minutes. So in this other one, there was someone who was killing a bad guy. And the bad guy, he was reflecting on it. There, we were not there when he was killing the bad guy, but he was explaining everything that the bad guy had told him. And the other character that, that was listening to him explain this was like, why would he tell you all that? And he says, oh, he, you know, bad guys know they're going to get killed and it would just oh, make no. it easier for no, him. So no, he just told no, me everything. No. And I oh, will no. admit that I felt 
cheated by that because there was just so much information that was just imparted. And, you know, it was like five chapters worth of working to try and get this information. But he got it all in one fell swoop before he killed the guy. Okay, so I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a minute and contradict myself um, and say that that scene, as you described it to me, I'm like, oh, H-E double hockey sticks, no way. But then I'm like, well, you know, you could take a scene exactly like that. And as long as you have established somewhere along the way in the story what that character, the one who rolled over and said everything, um, what his fears or his, you know, desires are, and you establish that he has a fear of dying with these things left unsaid, then that'll work because, you know, now it's not out of character. And you'll still feel a little cheated because of how much work went into ahead of time getting to it and then how convenient this character has this personality trait. But it'll be less cheated than such a lame excuse like that without anything to bolster it or give it a sense of reality. And let me just say that this character was a just a total cardboard cutout bad guy. There was no sense of who he was. He was just someone who was trying to kill someone else, and they stopped him and threw him in the trunk, and that was it. That was all we knew was that he was someone who was trying to kill, kidnap someone, and they stopped him and threw him in the trunk and took him somewhere in question. Yeah, him I and actually, him. I feel anxiety building up inside my, my core right now, and I feel myself wanting to take, <laughs> because I'm just like, no. But, you know, you know, that person obviously still has an audience. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to get critical. But I'm just saying if you if you are trying to improve your your craft and, you know, you you care. Some some authors legitimately are like, I don't care because I just want to get this thing written. That's cool. You know, that I'm not judging. I'm just saying for our listeners, if you are in trying to improve your craft, if you want to give your characters more depth. If you want your characters, especially your heroes, to feel uh, smarter, realer, uh, more admirable, don't make it easy. And I, it, as you were talking, as you were, and, and I will say it didn't really seem like <laughs> by the seat of your pants that was really well done. Um, as you were talking, I was just reflecting back on these two books and thinking of how they were just at opposite end of the spectrum. One of them had, had done it exactly the way you were describing it, and the other one had done it exactly the way I probably would have done it. You're so hard on yourself. Um, I, a lot of times, I think the author just doesn't know how. Like, they themselves are limited. They're, they are limiting their characters by their own limitations. And and we've talked about that before, and unfortunately I don't have an episode number to throw at you for that because I haven't gone that far back in trying to catalog. But we, we as authors can overcome that by stretching ourselves, by researching, to try and find out more what someone in that position would do. What is out there? What is available? Even if I don't know what to say, what would, you know, someone who's actually like this, who's smarter than me, you know, try and try and stretch yourself a little bit. Don't limit your characters by you. And I think that is a natural inclination. I mean, I know it happens to me sometimes. I'm sitting there and especially like with fight sequences and stuff, I, I'm like, 
I don't know what to do here. How, how, how is this person going to get out of this situation that I have just put them in? And I go to Google and I just start throwing things at Google, you know, like what, what do you do in this? How do you do this? Is this even possible? I mean, some stuff is purely in the realm of fiction, like truly fiction, like made up. It does not belong in any novel that has any sense of realism, like, you know, sleeping gas or whatever. But some stuff is just out there, completely out there that you would not even think is possible. And then once you start reading about it, you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is exactly what my <laughs> character is going to do. And, and you find your solutions. All right. You mentioned something else during the uh, during your conversation, and that was the title of your new book, which is Liar's Legacy, and it is coming out very soon. Yes. So we are going to – in our next episode, we're going to uh, talk for a bit about Liar's Legacy, but um, let's just wrap up this week's show, letting people know when the book is coming um, and what they can do to get it. Okay, so December 31st is when it launches. Don't ask. I don't know. That's the day. Um, New Year's Eve. If you want an autographed copy, I will have signed books at Interabang Books. It's an independent bookstore in Dallas. Um, the deadline has already passed for getting them personalized, but... They will have a limited supply of just autograph books in stock, and they will mail them to you, so you can get them from there. If you're not interested in the autograph versions, then anywhere that books are sold, and I would really appreciate it. And you know what? If you listen to this show just for the writing advice and you have no interest in reading my books, I've got no hard feelings, but they do make really good gifts for people. So even if you're not interested in them, maybe buy them for a friend or something. It's a really great way to support me and help me support this show. And if that doesn't interest you, there's always Patreon. Um, even the $3 pledge a month goes a long, long way in helping me continue to put out these shows. So thank you. And we will be talking about this in a little bit more detail next week. Thank you guys so much for listening as we work our way through the end of 2019. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. See you guys next week.